Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning again, everybody. You guys doing good? Good, because we're going to have a good time today as we continue studying uh, the book of Acts. We're, we're on the stretch run now. We're in the final six weeks. We'll have covered the entire book of Acts, taking a chapter, themes and chapters like that. Then we'll pick another book for next year. We'll keep going. And if you stick around here, we, our goal is to teach you the Word of God, that you'll know the Word of God, and you'll be able to operate within the Word of God. So amen to that one, right? So what I like to do is... Uh, I'll take a verse for about six weeks and go over it with you before I get in the message. If it's your first time here, that's what I'm going to do right now. Joshua 1.8 is the current verse, and I haven't been with you for two Sundays. Two Sundays ago, I, was, uh, I preached at the Riverside campus, and then last Sunday, I was gone. First time in 31 years of the church that uh, I was gone on Mother's Day, took my wife away, and uh, felt weird, but it felt good. Amen to that one? It was 31 years and since we started the church. First time I'd ever missed a Mother's Day. So I won't miss one for the next 31 years, okay? Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, I want you to read Joshua 1.8 with me. I want everyone to read it. You know, the New Testament says to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So I'm going to count to three. Everyone read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. Now, today I want to focus on the, the kind of the center section, three things in there specifically. When it talks about the book of the law, we know it's talking about the scriptures. Now, what does he say about it? He says, it should never depart from your what? Mouth. So you should be speaking it. And then he also says that you shall meditate on it. How often? day and night so it should be in your mind and the word meditate there is the idea of rumination the cow chews the cud swallows it brings it back up chews it again swallows it brings it again so that's the idea of meditation that you can think and think and think and you're thinking on this word of God all you know off and on throughout the day how many of you are great at worrying about things you're great worriers raise your hand worriers raise your hand worriers come on be proud okay you'll be great meditators of the word of God because you know how to peel things apart in your head any amens so turn it to a positive. And then it says from there, so that you may be careful to what? Do according to all that's written in it. So he says about the word of God. This is, what, this is the instruction. Never let it leave your mouth. So you speak it. You keep it in your mind off and on all day long thinking about it. So it's in your head. And then when that happens, then you're going to be careful to do what you're thinking, thus speaking, and, what, you know, and you're carrying out the word of God. It makes sense, doesn't it? that whatever I think is what I'm going to do. My thinking moves my feet, and my thinking moves my mouth. If I'm thinking it, I will speak it. So you see the transformation of the entire person. Think it, speak it, walk this thing out. Does that make sense at all? And that's what we're supposed to be doing in our life. So let's move on now. Today, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 22 of the book of Acts, and um, I'm going to talk about normal faith what normal faith actually looks like. So I have a question. What is normal? What does normal look like? 
What does normal look like in your life, in your marriage, in your work life, in your relationship? What does it look like? What's normal? You know, I think so, well, not I think, I know from my own personal life and from all the people I've talked to over the decades of walking with Jesus that we all guess at what is normal. Would you say yes? I mean, even the best of us Christians, there are still abnormal things that we live and we don't even know that yet until the word of God reveals it to us as we study it and devote our lives to knowing what God says. Christianity can many times be boiled down to you unlearn old ways and you relearn new ways according to the word of God. Amen? Amen. Now, let me talk to you about normal and abnormal because there's, there's so many things we live abnormally, but the abnormal has become the normal. And we're living in our culture now, there's so much abnormal and they're passing it off as normal. Correct? Amen on that one? And so we've got to be real careful about those things. We've got to go with God's word, not the cultural statements out there. Now, let me give you one of mine that I've, if you've been at New Beginnings for a length of time, you've heard me share this before, these stories. I, I grew up very abnormal. I mean, I just learned a lot of abnormal things. I didn't grow up in church, didn't want to be a Christian, didn't want to be around you people, didn't want anything to do with you people. And then at age 23, I gave my life to Christ. And I started to realize as I read God's word that I live a lot of abnormal stuff. And there's still things I'm still working on here. It's not going to end until I go with Jesus Christ. But one of the things I saw growing up that affected me, and I didn't realize how much, was an abnormal thing. I never saw my mother and father sleep in the same bedroom ever. Ever. I'm the baby of the family. My oldest a sibling, 18 years older than me, and he's passed away, many of you knew him, but, um, but I never saw my parents sleep in the same room. And so I knew once I became a Christian and I got married, that, that wasn't normal, that's not normal. And I told myself, my wife and I will never sleep in separate bedrooms. Now I know that some of you snore so loud, you gotta send that spouse to another location. You might want to even put them on the next SpaceX and send them somewhere, right? I get it. But, but, you know, but you don't want to do stuff like that. And so, remember, you, New Beginnings, long-termers, remember two and a half years ago, uh, my wife had to go to the hospital with COVID. How many remember that? It was bad. It was really bad. And thank you for praying during that time. She went in for 11 days in the hospital. You just drop her off and you have to walk away. You can't even go in. It was terrible. And... Um, Remember I dropped her off? I remember, Tebow, you were right outside. You just happened to be outside there, yeah. And uh, it was really rough for Dylan. Me and Dylan took her there. And, um, and so when she came out 11 days later, um, she had long-term effects, as some of you probably do, and one of them was her sleeping patterns. And they're still off. They're, they're not there. They're, two and a half years later, they're still off. But she couldn't sleep at all. I mean, it'd take till 3, 4 in the morning for her to finally fall asleep. And even now, it still takes her like 1.30 or 2 in the morning to fall asleep. So I, I, I'm real quiet in the morning, let her sleep to catch up on all that stuff. So there came this moment when she came out of the hospital when she tells me. She said, Jim, I'm going to sleep in the other bedroom because you're going to wake me up in the night. And if I fall asleep and I wake up again, I can't fall back to sleep. It's just so rough. And then I said, as a good spiritual male leader, I said, I will allow it. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> That would float really well in our society, huh? That's why I say that. But um, I said, okay, uh, that's okay. I said, but it's only for a time. 
Because you know what? In my mind, I go, I'm not going to be like my mom and dad in that particular department. I'm not going to do that. I thank God my parents never divorced. I thank God they stayed together, but I never saw them sleep in the same room. And so we're not going to do that, Olivia. And it was just for a short time. And then, you know, she came back and we were in the same bedroom and we'll stop the story right there, okay? Um, <laughs> thank you for that laugh. Uh, but, uh, but that was, I'm not going to go to abnormal. Now, uh, can we practice something that's abnormal? Can we do that? And then run a test after? You got to do something abnormal? Yeah. Yes, raise your hand if you want to try an abnormal thing and see what normal. Oh, good, five of you. Hallelujah. The rest of you got it down, right? Okay, um, let's see, let's see. <clears throat> who, who can I, who can I guinea, guinea pig here? Okay, Bobby, I'll use you. Yeah, I'll, you can say right there, you can say right there. Okay, we're gonna, th- let's say in relationship, whatever relationship, this and that, we're gonna do something. Now, no matter what, I want you to stay calm and talk. You know, I don't care what you tell me, but I'm gonna respond. Don't stop when I respond, okay? Let's see what you think about this. Just start talking. Are you kidding me, Bobby? Really? You know what? You got your thinking all wrong. Man, you know what? Just, wait, no, 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 no. Stop right there because you need to listen. Is that normal for me to do that normal life right there? Is that abnormal? Okay, what went wrong, right? What did I do wrong? What is abnormal about it? Okay, first off, did I listen to anything he said? No, did I start raising my voice and speaking over him? Did I get mad? That's abnormal, huh? They talk to me, I don't listen, I raise my voice, talk over, and I'm just angry. Anybody live that one? Raise your hand, be honest. Raise it up, come on, be honest, all you dysfunctionals, raise them up right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, huh? That is abnormal, guys. That is, look, haven't you watched the news the last three years and seen people out on the streets doing that? Do you sit there and go, that looks normal to me, I think I'll do it in my marriage. No, you didn't do that. Now, what is normal? Where do we find normal? We go to the New Testament, the letter of James, half-brother of Jesus, and what does he say about situations like that? He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's normal. See, that's where we find normal. But we can live abnormal our whole life and think, I'm doing it right. And we're doing it wrong. And the Bible tells us what normal is. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And you live that way. Now, so we're going to talk about normal. Normal faith. And by the way, if you ever wonder, am I really living this thing right? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And and I'm not talking about just like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have committed that sin. That's a sin of commission. You committed a sin. But I think more of our sins that we commit are sins of omission. It says to do that, but I'm not doing it. I'm omitting it from my life. Does that make sense? So there's two types. Now, all you have to do is read the book of Acts, just read it repeatedly, write down the things that they're doing, and then compare it to how you're living and see if you're living normal faith. That tells you what normal is. The Acts is the Acts of the apostles, the original followers of Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what normal is, go back to the beginning of it. When, when the question of marriage came up to Jesus, what did he do? Let's go back to the beginning. And he took him back to the beginning. What did the Father say? Okay, so we want to look at what normal faith is. And today, I'm going to give you three things. 
Paul's life, they're right there. I'm not gonna do any lead-in commentary today because it's right in the text right away. So here we go, three things about normal faith. If you take notes, number one is normal faith has a loving heart. It has a loving heart. This will be my quickest point, which if you're a long-term New Beginnings person, you know that's just not even so, okay? There's no quick points for me, but I'll try. Verse one and two says this, chapter 22 of Acts. Brethren, Paul, by the way, is on trial. He is defending himself, and he says, brethren and fathers. When he says brethren, he is speaking to the council, the Sanhedrin, Jewish Supreme Court. He knows them, they know him because he once was part of them. And so he says, brethren, that's what's interesting about the whole interaction of this trial. He says, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. When they heard that, he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect question, what language is he talking to them in? Hebrew. They became even more quiet, and he said, now stop right there, okay? Paul has a loving heart, and I'll get to that in a second. I'll show you it. In this room, all of us, we can have a hard heart, a cold heart, a critical heart, an unforgiving heart, a bitter heart, a seared heart, or a loving heart. Would you agree? We all have that potential. We can have, we can have one of those hearts right there. Now, <clears throat> Paul has a loving heart. How do we know? The people he's talking to, he's on trial. These people arrested him. They grabbed him, they dragged him, they beat him, they beat him more until finally he was rescued by the Romans, the Roman centurion, the Roman soldiers. They will continue to rescue him because Paul, as we found out a few chapters earlier, Paul is a Roman citizen, not just a Jewish man, but he's a Roman citizen. Citizenship always carries benefits. That's so weak, my gosh. Let me try it again. Citizenship always carries benefits. That's why it's important. If you don't have citizenship, you don't have a country, my friends. And it just devolves and erodes into who knows what. Because as a citizen, you live by the certain constitutions of that country. That's what you do. Never forget that. Don't live by the culture. Never forget what I just told you. You find it in Scripture. It's all through the, through the history of the world. Now, these people are against him. They're trying to kill him, my friends. Here's what Paul does. He turns to the Roman centurion who just saved him. They're walking across the Temple Mount with soldiers. They're going up these steps in what's called the Fortress of Antonia where the Roman barracks are. They're climbing up there on the northwestern side of the Temple Mount. The building's no longer there. And he says to the Roman centurion in Greek, he says, and I'm backing up, I'm telling you what just happened. In Greek, he says, hey, can I talk to you? And now why does Paul speak to the Roman centurion in Greek? That doesn't even make logical sense. It does. Because before the Romans were in power, the Greeks, through Alexander the Great, they conquered the world. And they, what's called, Hellenized it. Greek culture, Greek language, this is what people spoke. So everybody spoke Greek. That's why your New Testament's Greek. It written originally in Greek. And so he says, hey, can I just stop here on these steps and talk to these people that want to kill me? You know, the ones that beat me up. You know, the ones that drag me around. You know, these guys. Would you let me talk to them? He goes, okay. So Paul now turns to the crowd, the ones that grabbed him, dragged him, beat him, want him dead, tried to kill him. 
And now he speaks not in Greek, he speaks in Hebrew. You read it right there. He speaks in Hebrew because they're all Jews down there. They're his people, they're his countrymen. And once he starts speaking in Hebrew, they all stop and they start to listen to what he has to say. It's interesting. But why does he want to talk to them? They try to kill him. What does he want to say to them? I'll tell you what he wants to say. He wants to preach the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is what he wants to do. But wait a minute. They try to, how many of you, if somebody dragged you, beat you, tried to kill you, you turn around and say, can I share the gospel with you? Would you do that? How many honestly would do that? No, we'd probably be thinking like, Lord, zap him right now. Just him, God, right now. So now you see that Paul's heart is soft. Paul has a loving heart. It's not hard, cold, seared, unforgiving, or bitter. Watch what Paul will write about his countrymen in Romans, New Testament letter after Acts. Watch the first four verses of chapter nine. Put it up on the screen. Here we go, watch. This is Paul again. The guy who's trying to speak to them. He says, I'm telling you the truth. In Christ, I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my what? Heart. He feels heavy in here. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Verse four. Who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Question, is Paul willing to trade places with all of his fellow Israelite brethren? Yeah, but in what way? He says, I would gladly go to hell for eternity, make that trade if my countrymen could all come to Christ and be saved and go to heaven in eternity. That's what he just said. Guys, they grabbed him, dragged him, beat him, tried to kill him, they hate him, and he says, I'll gladly take the place. I want to see them saved. Is that a loving heart? Watch this about our hearts. Proverbs 4.23. It says, watch over your heart, friends, with all diligence, and your heart is the inner you. It's the inner, inner you. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, it all flows from here. Amen? Amen. Okay, let me take this idea, this loving heart, and let me put it somewhere else that maybe we'll drill down further. Is it easy to develop a cold heart, bitter, unforgiving, seared heart toward your spouse? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Is, I'm just asking the question. I'm not saying you're that. Just raise. Is it easy to do that? It's really easy, huh? Now, what you think? Because you go back to Genesis chapter 2. And God tells Adam before he creates Eve, the spouse. He says... Um, God says, Adam, hey, Adam, um, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper, helpmate. That's why he creates Eve. It's not good for you to be alone. Question, when God tells Adam it's not good for you to be alone, do you think anybody else was listening to that? I think so. I think Satan was listening to that. And if Satan hears God say to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, 
What do you think Satan's thoughts were? I'm gonna make you alone then. If it's not good to be alone, I'm gonna put abnormal in your life and I'm gonna make you alone. And you're gonna be married and be alone. So he goes after Adam and Eve, he tempts them, they eat the fruit, guess what they do? Put the fig leaves on, separation. God comes, they jump in the trees, separation. And now there's distance in the relationships. It's very easy to be married, living in the same house, and feel alone in the relationship. It's a fact. Because Satan goes after them. Guys, why is it that in Genesis, as soon as there's a family, Satan goes after it? He'll always go after that man. He'll always try separation. He'll always do these things. And that's why you gotta be careful with your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. The inner you, you cannot develop a cold or a bitter or a hard or an unforgiving heart toward this person that you once confessed, I'll love you forever. I do, I vow, I pledge. Oh, you bug, you know. (laughs) Right? You gotta be careful with that kind of stuff. You gotta keep your heart soft. Look, every marriage, look, and I, look, because you're flawed people, except for me. But anyway, no, no, that's not true. I'm really flawed. Um, But it's true, we're all flawed. So we have potential to really irritate each other. Yeah, you cowards, you didn't say any amens. And so be careful. You want to keep a, a, a Christian, you keep the heart soft. And, and, and if you have unforgiveness toward your spouse, don't go up to him and say, I forgive you. Oh, that's going to go over really well. That's going to start another fight. Well, what should I do? Just in your heart say, Lord, I forgive him. I forgive him. Please soften my heart toward them. See, look, Christianity is so opposite of the culture. The culture says, blame everybody else. Boy, that really helps a lot, right? Christianity says, take responsibility for your own self. Take responsibility for your heart and how you need to operate in that heart. And by the way, while I'm on it, don't expect everybody else to give you everything. You go out and work for it, okay? Don't sit there and say, well, I, I deserve it. No, you deserve anything. Nobody does. Go work for it. Amen? Okay. Okay, that won't fly out there, though, okay? Now, uh, but that's true. Take personal responsibility. Now, so Paul has a loving heart. That's normal. Second thing is Paul testifies. That's normal. Point two, he testifies. Normal Christianity, normal faith testifies of what God has done in their life. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. Watch this. Paul giving his testimony. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, I educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a big gun teacher, man, at the time. Strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. In other words, what a great line. He says, I'm zealous for God. I know you are. He's trying to get common ground with these guys. He says, I persecuted this way to the death. Early people call Christianity the way. That's what we call this way. I binding him, putting him both men and women into prison. So he wasn't nice to Christians. Look at this guy. And as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify, he said, you guys all know what I was like. You know what I did. You know how I hunted down Christians to kill them. You know that. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were, who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened. Here comes the moment. But it happened that as I was on my way, notice 
He's going to kill people of the way, and he's on his way, his own version of life, but he's going to kill people on the way who are following the way, truth, and life, Jesus Christ. Approaching Damascus about noontime, now he's going to rehash what happened in Acts chapter 9. A very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. He's given his testimony. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul. I don't know what he's sounding like. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, is Saul, who's Paul, actually persecuting Jesus directly? He's persecuting Christians who follow Jesus. But when you persecute a Christian, it's the same as persecuting Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. Did you know that? Be careful. And I answered, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who's talking to him. He just knows this is a supernatural event. And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Stop. All your life. You don't believe in Jesus. You think it's a phony cult. Your job is to kill Christians. Hunt them down. Stone Stephen. Knock this thing out. And all of a sudden, the light flashes. The voice speaks from him and says, I am Jesus. What would go on in your mind? Everything you thought was one way is wrong. It's this way, not that way. What are you going to do in that moment? When you realize scripture says it this way, don't matter what daddy or granddaddy said, it says it this way. What are you going to do? Who are you going to follow? You follow God. You follow what he says. Now, verse 9. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure. So everybody around, they see this light flash from heaven but did not understand the voice. The voice means like the tone. They didn't get it of the one who was speaking to him. So they saw the light, but they don't know what the voice is saying, except Paul. He can hear it, because Jesus is revealing himself. The resurrected Jesus is revealing himself to Paul. Is that wild or what? Changes his life completely. Okay, now. Sidebar, okay? Yeah, yes or no? Okay, good. The greatest witness outside of the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Paul. I said outside the Gospels. Because some people will tell you, oh, those are the disciples who believe it. They're in the Gospels. They're part of that home team. They're going to make it up because that benefits them. Really, it benefited all being killed, huh? Wow, that's really cool. But you say, whoa, 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 whoa. What if I had a witness, an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus who's not in the Gospels? That's Paul. He's not in the Gospels. He's not part of the original 12 disciples. He didn't grow up in church. He wasn't there getting saved on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't any of those things. He's a murderer of Christians. He hunts them down. He kills them. And then all of a sudden this happens and he turns his life over and he's an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, the greatest eyewitness outside the Gospels of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the man's brilliant. Read Romans. He's brilliant. He's a scholar. And his life changes. So that's a free one right there. Now, he's sharing his testimony. He's telling these guys, you knew what I was like. He's sharing the testimony. Now, testimony. There's two things I want to give you in your notes about the testimony, because testimonies are important. The first thing about your testimony is defense. Your testimony is defense. 
Now, let me try to explain that to you. I'm going to take you to Revelation. John, one of the 12, uh, original disciple of the apostles, he writes this in Revelation 12, 9, 10, 11. Now watch, watch, watch. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Why do you think the world is upside down in its thinking? Because Satan deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan cannot be everywhere. He can't even read your mind. But he has angels who followed and now they are the demons and they do a lot of the work to try to get into our heads and put things in our mind. There's a real spiritual world out there. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. That's pretty powerful. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. Has Satan ever attacked you or demon in your mind telling you ugly things about yourself, what a loser you are, what a sinner you are, you're not really saved? Anybody? They go after us day and night, man. That's why you need the word of God. You need the word of God meditating day and night. Verse 11, and they overcame him. We can overcome the enemy? Yeah, because of the blood of the lamb. I'm declared innocent, man. Jesus has washed me clean as if I've never sinned in my life because of what he's done, not because of what I've done. I just put my faith in him. And because of the word of their what? Come on, guys. Come on, come on. Because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced with death. The word of their testimony. One of the greatest defenses we have against the enemy. What does that mean? How does that work? You know how to think about that one. You start sharing your testimony of what God has done in your life. You start telling people at work when you get an opportunity. Here's how God has changed me. Here's what happened. Here's what I was like. Here's what God has done. You share it more, 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 more. They may kind of giggle or roll their eyes at you in the beginning. But what you're confessing is that you've switched teams. And you're making a public identification repeatedly that you're a follower of Christ. And my life has changed. And therefore, when that happens repeatedly, 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 and you're sharing it and sharing it and sharing it, pretty soon those people that once invited you to go do some wrong things, they're going to kind of stop, right? Yes or no? Because they know where you stand. Let me put it in a practical Jim Del Campo illustration. What am I wearing? What kind of ring is that? It's a wedding ring, yeah. It's super expensive. I don't know, it's about $40 ring. I lost my original, and this is, I got this. Somebody gave me this. I said, yeah, I'll wear it. I, I need to wear it. I hate wearing jewelry. I, I really, I, you'll never see me wear, I hate it. But I will wear my ring because I'm married. Now, let me explain this. If I go somewhere and people ask me, I say, I'm married. I don't go like that, but you know. They go, I go oh, yeah, I'm married. I'm married to live. Yeah, somebody, I'm, somewhere, I'm married. Yeah, I'm, I'll always, I'm, I'm married. I'm married. I'm married. I'm married. I'm married. After a while, what do they deduce out there? I'm married. I keep stating it, right? I make a public identification that I am married to Olivia that guess what I'm on this team now I'm a starting shortstop and I'm staying on this team okay 
I'm not going anywhere else. So that means this, and not that anyone would ever do this, and I'll use the word back from the 70s. That means wherever I go, because I've stated so often that I'm married, if some female tried to, we used to use the word come on to you. Do they still use that today? They do? Not that anybody comes on to an old man, trust me, okay. But if somebody did, no, I'm married. I've made a public identification. Let me back up. Would they really try that if they heard me say, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. Would they really try that, most of them? No, it would shut down the uh, temptation, right? Am I making sense? Because I'm in union with my wife. Well, the same thing with Christ. I'm in union with Christ, and I share, I'm with Christ, I'm with Christ. Here's what he's done. I'm with Christ. Here's what he's done. Pretty soon, it shuts down the temptations when people, why don't you come and do this? They, they won't do that, Right? Because now you've set up the defense, right? Does that make sense? Okay, your testimony is a great defense. The second thing is your testimony is a witness. Now let me share this one with you. This is great. In John chapter 9, I'm not going to turn there, but Jesus heals a blind man of blindness, right? He, uh, he they puts the, the mud in their eyes and everything. He says, take them to go wash. They go wash. They wash it out, and he can see. And he's never seen in his life. And all the religious leaders are so angry because they don't want Jesus getting any credit. They want no one following Jesus because, you know, they have position. They're making money on the backside of everything. You know how things work, how corruption works. And so they're doing all this stuff, and they're getting filthy rich, and they don't like the people who are following Jesus. So they're trying to shut Jesus down everywhere they go. And now this guy's saying, I was blind. And this guy, Jesus, who I've never seen before and still don't know what he looks like, he healed me. So they go on the attack. They start attacking this once blind guy. They even bring his parents in. Do you remember the story? They ask the parents, is this your son? Yeah. Was he born blind? Hey, ask him. He's of age. He'll tell you. We don't know. And they're terrified because they'll get canceled, you know, like today. So they go back to the guy and they start grilling him. You were never blind. You were never blind. And they finally tell the man this. Give the glory to God. We know this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. And the man, when they say give the glory to God, here's what they mean. Tell the truth. Because we know you're lying. Tell the truth. And the man says to them, he says, when they say when they say, we know this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner, the man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, once I was blind, and now I can see. He gave his testimony. Question, has he ever been to Bible school? been to seminary grew up in church nothing all he knew was that you know what I was blind but now I see that's his testimony he didn't need to know theology he didn't need to know philosophy I was blind now his testimony and it stopped them in their tracks you start sharing your testimony and it carries power you start telling people, here's what God has done in my life. Start sharing it when the opportunity opens up. You know, they may mock, they may roll their eyes, and they may, but I guarantee at some point, as you keep sharing that testimony, 
Some of those people, when their life takes a nosedive, and some of the people, it will happen. They're not going to go back to the party hardy people. They're going to come back to you. Because you're the one who has stability. Because you're the one who's been steady even in your own personal trials. Because they know where you stand. And now they need a solid rock foundation to talk to. And you're that person. But they'll never do it if they don't know your testimony. They'll never do it. Share the testimony. It's a great witness. A great witness to the world of the power of a living God. Amen to that one right there? Now... Number three, got to move fast. Die to self and live for the will of God, meaning surrender. Now watch verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Oh my gosh. Once he has the experience, Paul, he says, what shall I do, Lord? When he says, Lord, that means Jesus is Lord. He believes in Jesus as his Messiah now. This is the God-man. I believe it now. His life has changed in a moment of time. But think of what he said. What shall I do? Is that a gutsy question to ask God? Yes. But the gutsier one is doing what God tells you to do once you ask him. That's gutsier. Anybody can say, well, you know, I asked God, he said this. So what? Did you do it? That's gutsier. Because that means you've just surrendered to God who knows way more than you do. And who now is your Lord, like he says right here. Now, okay. Let, let, me, let me try to bring this home. Um, I'm, I'm going to close, then I'm going to close, close. Is that okay? Because, you know, I won't close, close, close. I'll just close, close, close. He asked him, what shall I do? Back up now. Two greatest questions maybe in life. Maybe. First question, this is a sidebar issue, close. Who am I? Who am I? Isn't it weird that we don't even know who we are anymore? Isn't it weird that for 6,000 years, Humans knew what they were in the last 45 seconds. We don't know what we are anymore. Is that weird to anybody? They just confuse you and confuse you and confuse you. Who am I? So, I decided to go back and watch that 1978 Superman movie. Christopher, anybody remember that one? Raise your hand if you know that movie right there. Okay. I thought a month ago, I'm, like, I'm going to watch it. I always liked it. I saw it when it came out, I was probably like six months old or something. <laughs> I saw it. Remember the old UA Cinema? There used to be a Galleria, but there's a bookstore there now. They tore that down and built that. How many remember that? You old people. You're all old. That's what I mean. <laughs> I remember that. So I thought, I'm going to watch it again. Because I want to see that certain scene. And, 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 and if you go back and watch it, the graphics are so cheesy compared to today. But it's a great movie. And remember Clark Kent takes off and he goes and he throws that glass thing and it becomes the fortress of solitude and then he takes the clear one and he puts it in that panel thing there and all of a sudden his father appears from the planet Krypton. His father's been dead for hundreds of earth years and, and he starts to talk to his son, Jarell, and he says to his son, you know, I'm sure by now you have a lot of questions. And the first question Clark Kent asks of his father, he says, who am I? 
And his father Jarrell says, You are Kellel, son of Jarrell from the planet Krypton. Because he struggled with identity all his life. And now his father told him who he is. Listen, if it only hits one person in this room, don't listen to the culture. Don't listen to the school boards who are off sometimes. Don't listen to the journalists. Don't listen to the government officials who are going the wrong way in many ways. They can't tell you who you are. They'll just confuse you because they're going to go with lies. Only the Father can tell you who you are. And he told you a long time ago who you are. And what you were born, you were born that. And you stay that because only the Father And once you settle those things and follow God, then he's going to show you all the reasons why you were born. He's going to show you your giftings and your abilities and your talents. He's going to show you. And you can live life to the fullest. It'll be great. But the biggest question is, who am I? The second biggest question is, when you come to Christ, what do you want me to do? Once you clear with the Father, who am I? You're Jim Doc Campbell. You're a guy. Now, okay, what do you want me to do? That's a loaded question again. Now, how do you find out what God wants you to do? Well, you ask the question, what do you want me to do? And God from heaven, Jesus spoke and he said, here's what I want you to do, Paul. Get up. Go to Damascus. Once you get there, I've sent a man, Ananias, who's going to give you what you're supposed to do, tell you what you're supposed to do. You know, I found that's how it works. God tells you the first thing to do. Then you do it. That's step one. Just do it. And once you do the first step, then God will tell you the next step. But if you never do the first step, then He's never going to tell you the second step. And once you tell you do that, you know, once you obey obedient to the second step, and he tells you from there, then you walk in the third step if you're obedient to that. And you have to walk in the obedience of each step. This is the reason why so many Christians can live their entire life for, saying for Christ and miss the ultimate will of God in their life because they never obey from the get-go and they never find the next step, the next step, the next step, and the next step. It comes in steps. I found that to be true in my own life and in the lives of many others. Okay. I got saved in 1979. I became a Christian. Didn't want to. Didn't want to be you like you people. You guys were weird. I didn't want to be one. I just, I didn't. I'm being honest. I, just, I don't want to be one of those people. And then I become one of you. So, um, the first thing was, for me was, they said, they asked, hey, would you take out this sign? It was an evening service I was a part of. Would you put this, remember, it's 1979. Would you take this wooden sign out and take this long cord, running electrical cord and on this flood, flood light, they had those two prongs you put in the grass and it shoots up at the sign. Yeah, I'd do that. And then a couple of months of that, they go, hey, could you do this also? I go, yeah, I could do that. And I did it. Then a couple of months ago, hey, can you do this too? And I go, yeah, I'll do that. So I'm doing all these things. I'm just being obedient. And step one led to step two, and step two led to step three, and step three led, and so on and so on. And finally one day they said, hey, would you like to preach on one of these nights? I'm in. I think at that time I'd been saved like about a year and a half, something like that. I was like, okay. And I went up there and I did it. I'm sure it was the worst message in the history of mankind. 
And then that's where it went from there. I'm not telling you you're going to be a preacher. Not everybody is. But there are a specific calling. I never thought I'd do this. This is the last thing. I, I thought I was going to be a rock star. But I never thought I'd do this. But it's step by step by step by step. God tells Abraham, leave her the Chaldees and go that way. He does. Do you know the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says of Abraham in these moments that it says that he left, he was obedient, step one, not knowing where he was going. Not wild, but that's called faith. It's called faith. God has this map for your life. But you've got to start with, what do you want me to do? And then you obey little step one. And if you obey that, he'll give you step two. And you obey that. And they're all little steps. But they lead to the ultimate fulfillment of your life. To do what God called you to do. That is normal faith. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we serve a living God who does take notice of us, who has created us for specific purposes, that only he, only you, can tell us what that is. I pray for you, friends. There's this ultimate thing that God wants for you. But you've got to keep your antenna open for the next step and the next step and the next step from the Spirit of God. Now, some of you need to take the first step. And that is put your faith in Jesus. Become a follower of Christ. Because you never have. You've never confessed him as Lord and Savior. You know the Bible says that? It says, New Testament says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning resurrection, you will be saved. You've never done that. It's time to do that. It's time to have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And then there's some people, possibly you backslid. You just walked away from God. You think it's better out there? Really? No. Listen, prodigal. It's time to come home. Time to come back to Jesus. So if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time in your life and walk with him for the rest of your life, or you backslid and you want to come back to Christ, you want to firm this thing up, I'm going to ask you to do this right now. Open up your eyes, look up at me right now. I'm going to look at you. Once our eyes meet, you can close them again just as a sign between you, me, and God that you're putting faith in Jesus. Open your eyes, look up at me if you want to do that. I'll look around. Now, everyone who looked up at me, I'm going to say this prayer. You just repeat it out loud after me. Everyone, all you Christians, repeat it with them in this room. But those who looked up at me, you have to believe in Jesus now as you say it. The words mean nothing unless it's coming from that heart, the seat of all your emotions, the inner you. You put your faith in Christ now as your Savior. Believing that he did die, he was buried, and God the Father brought him back from the dead. That he is the God-man who created it all and came to save his people from their sins. So here we go. Repeat after me. Those who looked up at me, everybody join in with them. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from myself, from sin, from Satan. Thank you for dying on the cross 
shedding your blood to forgive me of all my sins forgive me Lord of everything of all sin I know I'm forgiven today I choose to follow you with my whole life for the rest of my life now let me pray God I pray for everybody that looked up pray for you friend now that you've said that prayer believe it now you've got to follow up on it you can't walk out of here and say well that was okay and I'm not going to do anything sorry that just means you didn't believe it because if you believe it you're going to do something about it and God knows your heart so it's time to follow up on it but I pray that you do and I pray that you follow Christ I pray that you get a Bible a simple, a simple one simple translation if you don't have one in the lobby at the welcome booth there you can get one free but follow Christ follow Christ in Jesus name we pray and we all said amen and amen stand up with me everybody okay out loud real loud everybody Lord keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit give me the boldness to share the gospel with others open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you now we'll see you later go talk to somebody if you gave your life to Christ if you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.